0: CBS Radio, a division of the Columbia Broadcasting System and its 217 affiliated stations, present the
1: CBS Radio Workshop, radio's distinguished series dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. Computer.
2: Of course, Bob always starts talking right as I say I'm hitting record. It's great. So, (laughs) again, this is Benny speaking with my friend Jim, my friend Bob. We are having a sort of an ESP week. And uh, today's episode is from the CBS Radio Theater and Radio, not Radio Theater, Radio Workshop. And uh, it's all about ESP. I thought this was interesting. I didn't realize ESP was thought to be a big thing in the 50s. I thought it more of a 60s and 70s thing. So it's kind of cool to have a show from 1956 talking about it. And uh, CBS Workshop continues to be a strange treasure trove of various things. So, uh, Bob, why don't you uh, give us a little summary of this episode and sort of what it does, and, and then we'll go from there.
3: Yeah, actually the first thing that thing first thing you said is exactly what I thought. I thought it was like a 70s thing. I remember being big in the 70s. So this is episode is kind of a montage of episodes, cases where uh ESP and psychic powers are like involved. They go through like a series of scenarios, it's not scenarios but like kind of like short stories and pointing out and sort of reenactments yeah, it, it, I guess it, it, you
2: would say in the modern uh for like television shows and things, which you don't run into with radio very often at all. So I just thought that was interesting too, that they did all these little, uh, yeah, little recreations of whatever the situation was, so you can experience it sort of, kind of firsthand or whatever. Um, go ahead, Bob. What else? The
3: other thing is I think they mentioned SRI, which is Stanford Research Institute International, which. It's been involved in site research for a long time. uh, It was part of Stanford at one point, but it spun off, I guess, in the 70s. I don't know if it was this episode or the other one that we're going to talk about that. I didn't know that they were involved that far back in doing this kind of work. Yeah, it was uh, interesting from that point of view. Yeah, for sure. And also, by the way, the answer is square. That's the one you're thinking of.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. That's really good. Well, speaking of that, I I messed up. I was going to create envelopes ahead of time, one that said uh Bob and one that said uh Jim. because uh, I I was reading your mind ahead of time. Uh, I'll still do my predictions. My predictions were that Bob will I just I I felt through the my our psychic connection that Bob would do some deep dive stuff with the subject matter and be able to do quote some some folks and studies from the past which of course you did and so that was right and then my other one was going to be about jim saying that he was going to be kind of all over the map with the stuff he was talking about but somewhere in there there would be an insight that would be unique so so we'll see if jim lives up to that or not (laughs) so jim what are your thoughts on this thing Uh, you're muted. but other than that. <laughs>
3: uh, it's all a bunch of
4: hogwash. Oh of I, I, I sat for hours last night. I mean, it was like literally like six hours with my daughter with these cards, and she could not guess a single one. Either, <laughs> either she has no ESP abilities whatsoever, whatsoever. Or, or it's not true. I'm not, or or, or she's just. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe I don't have the ability, so she can't read my mind to know which one to pick. But Jim, she's
2: supposed to know at least what's on the cards so that she knows what to guess. Jim just gave her blanks, just the cards, without saying what they were. And so she's like, a dog, a fish,
3: yeah,
2: <laughs> an orange peel. Yeah. And it's like, oh no, this is a circle. Part. This is a plus sign. <laughs> yeah, anyway.
4: Well, I, I figured if she had ESP, I would not have to tell her what was on the card. Yes, she, <laughs> she would think. just see. If, if she could if she was seeing a circle, she would see a circle whether she knew what she had to pick from or not, right? Yes, Why do right. I have to show her those cards? Like, I see a circle. I see a circle. Okay. Well, then you see a circle whether I have yes. the circles on the cards.
2: Now, that would have been really impressive if she was able to pull off any of those without ever seeing them. Uh, maybe a star yeah oh my gosh
3: yes
4: (laughs) oh like i didn't tell you that that was what was on the card
3: i i I hate to say as ludicrous as that is our government tried to do basically did that or tried to do it so the russians were experimenting with what they call remote viewing which was like they would give you coordinates these guys would go into a room and actually sri was the, the ones doing the research and they would like Go to this place and like they were trying to use it as surveillance, like against the Russians. The guys that were in it say it like were great and it was did awesome, but supposedly the program has been shut down. But who knows? I don't know what if anything ever came out of in reality.
4: I, I see dark, I see black vans coming to my next door neighbor's house uh, late at night. <laughs> I, I think we may maybe continuing that project next door. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I just I, I get that that feeling, I get that vibe in my head that that's what they're doing there. So I, because sometimes I just, I sleep, when when I'm sleeping, I'll dream of squares and squiggly lines and and plus signs and stuff. And I think it's the people next door that they're like beaming that into my head.
3: So if you you want to start remote viewing, just like have your daughter hide a picture or something and then load and see if you can remote view it.
4: Yeah. Ah, very Very good. Sometimes... I have to wear two tinfoil hats to go to sleep. I mean, it, we're, we're talking; it gets bad sometimes.
3: Well, you need to put it put it on your shoe so you ground out the signals.
4: There you oh, go. I never knew that. Wow! Oh, wow!
3: Well,
2: Jim, what did you th- did you think that? Uh, were you surprised that they were having a show on ESP in 1956, or like?
4: Yeah, I thought a lot somewhere? of that paranormal kind of things was more like into the 60s and 70s, like yeah. you guys. So I was kind of surprised of it. Um, you know, and, and a lot of that stuff is, is the kind of, the, I mean, this show wasn't necessarily, because when I think ESP, I, I always think, you know, like reading minds and, right. and, and stuff like that. But they, they were getting more into uh, premonitions and, right. you know, water, uh, uh, was it, uh, uh, but they have the sticks, water dousing. Yes. You know, I've been doused by water many times. When yes. I was in Thailand, they doused me with water all the time. When doctor, so.
2: <laughs> well, uh, I've had experience with those water diviners or whatever they call it, the, that find water, and uh, and i it, it sure always looked like hokey stuff to me. But I I still remember being at my uncle's place in uh, in Canada. And he had this acreage he bought, but it like had no water access. And so they brought in one of these guys and he said, right here, dig. And it's going to be down a hundred feet or something like that. And uh, so they, they, he brought in a company that had enough pipe to go down. I think they had 120. And so he went down and no water, no water, no water. And then hit and. 20, starting to get a little damp the end of the drill bit or whatever it was. And so they had another two pieces of pipe they could put down. They put down one more, and the water started coming up, and there the water was. So the guy was wrong. It was 140 feet down instead of 100 feet. But I thought that was pretty good. Now, granted, anywhere around there, you might have been able to put pipe down 100 and some feet and bumped into water. Who knows? But, wow. uh, but yeah, they would just go around with the little piece of wood and it all of a sudden just start going like crazy and uh, I don't know weird stuff but uh the other thing that they played up in this or talked about a little bit was like how when someone son passes away or daughter passes away that someone on the other side of the country without knowing anything about it would just start crying and things and getting upset cuz they would just feel the loss of their family member and um I don't know if that's ESP or the connection people have or who knows what that is, but, uh, but you definitely hear stories like that. So I thought it was okay. I thought it was interesting. I thought it had a good opening piece. I thought that was interesting. And then going into the various little stories I thought was okay. And the stories were all right. I mean, as a, as an entertaining episode, um, what did you guys think? I mean, Bob, was this as entertaining as most of the stuff we have or was it more boring or what did you think?
3: I enjoyed it i mean it was you know it's it has all the 50s style music and yeah. intros and exits but you know besides that i thought <clears throat> the things that they covered were interesting yeah i like, think about lincoln i would forgotten about that the fact that he had that premonition
2: yeah yeah
3: so that was yeah i mean the stories themselves were just inter- interesting i thought well, no, and they covered not. a
2: lot of ground in this episode, like we, like you're saying, you mentioned the Lincoln thing that we had. There's a lot of little Mark stories, and little pieces they share.
3: Yeah,
2: but uh, but I think they did a good job of it this time. It didn't seem like they crammed too much in. It seemed okay. Uh, Jim, what did you think of the episode overall?
4: Yeah, they definitely did have a lot of different. For you know, a short period, it, it had a lot of different stories and, and and things that you know they were happened that they were describing. Yeah. This was not quite as good as the the weather report on the storm, <laughs> but you know it's really hard <laughs> to beat that one. I mean, that one's got to be like the top one. I you know, um, I, I really wish that one had video that went along with it because like, <laughs> I I get my background on my computer all the time because you know.
2: Well, you they know. do. There is video that goes with it. It's called the Weather Channel, and you can watch it twenty four yeah. hours a day if you like.
4: So. Yeah, but but they they never have the reruns they always have on the weather channel it's always the new the new That's productions fair. they don't have the reruns from from before so yeah they um, really they should
2: did. have a sub channel the uh, weather channel's greatest hits Re- are-
4: reruns yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> I thought you had to get Weather Plus to get the new episodes.
4: That that might be it. Yeah, maybe it's on the <laughs> weather, Plus weather Plus streaming service. You can watch the the weather reports from any time in the last thirty years, so. <laughs> which
2: you're overpaying for if you're paying more than ninety nine cents a month. So. <laughs> <laughs> no,
4: but no, it, I mean it was it, yeah it was it was it was a decent uh, listen. You know, I, I I prefer stories probably more than than
2: this, you know. But yeah. I I I could definitely see that. I thought it was a unique piece. And that's what CBS uh workshop is so often just a unique, different kind of listening experience. If anything, this was closer to an episode of like in search of or something than it was to the things we normally listen to on um, on the uh, the various radio shows we listen to.
4: I, I don't know if you n- noticed, but I had to do up my button here. I was looking too sexy and I, I didn't want your channel to possibly get demonetized by YouTube for, <laughs> for, for me showing, you know, having too many buttons undone here. So
2: Jim has oh, always been too sexy for his shirt, too sexy for his shirt, too sexy. It hurts. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Now Bob's buttoning up. On. I gotta
3: hide, man. You're scaring me.
2: Oh, the like... last thing I want to say is the guy on Bob's box for Kreskin's ESP or whatever that is, he always scared me because I always thought he was Barnabas Collins, the vampire from uh, from Dark Shadows. Because that was big at the same time, but now that I look at him, he doesn't look anything like Barnabas or he looks like looks, Barnabas with glasses like, on or something. Looks like Jeff Goldblum.
3: Yeah, say, yeah, it does kind of actually.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, there we go. So <laughs> we well, it,
4: it didn't make this make it onto this video, but Bob was saying before that. Well, see, I, I see Bob over here, but who knows? Where, he's, he's down playing. below
2: you on my screen.
4: Oh well, I, yes. that's Whoever's talking is down below me, but Bob's not talking right now. So, <laughs> um, but uh, he had that game as a kid. Yes. He used yeah, to, he used to play with that game as a kid. That's right. Yeah,
2: and I remember going over to his house and we pulled it out. We never, I don't think, I ever played it correctly. We just always kind of play with the and yeah. or try and hypnotize each other and things, and never really.
3: I think, it. yeah, it was too complex for us. <laughs> yes.
2: We we couldn't even handle Clue. <laughs> <laughs> Tic Tac Toe was up our alley.
3: <laughs> we we eventually graduated from Candyland about the end of junior high.
4: Yeah, that's
2: right. That's right. Oh, I remember shoots and ladders at your place. That was great. So well, anyway. that was
4: the, that was the graduation party, right? When yeah. We had the graduation party. We all got together at his house and we played shoots and ladders. Right. That sounds right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I remember hi
2: ho cheerio. Yes, I think that was mm-hmm. the games that were the big ones. Yeah. <laughs> hey. without anyway, further ado, enjoy <laughs> this episode and catch us for In Search of ESP or In Search of I think it's called Learning ESP, which we'll play later this week or something all right
5: star wavy lines square
3: seven seven three
1: cbs radio and its 217 affiliated stations present the cbs radio workshop Radio's distinguished series dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. Tonight, report on ESP, a study of clairvoyance, telepathy, and extrasensory perception taken from actual case records. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John McIntyre. Extrasensory perception, clairvoyance, telepathy, precognition. These are the laboratory works. But in everyday life, you and I are faced with a multitude of strange occurrences. Item. A man is about to board a certain airliner. Suddenly, on a hunch, he turns back to the ticket window and changes to another flight. An hour later, the plane he would have been on crashes into a mountainside. Item. A mother suddenly and unaccountably breaks into tears at the moment her son is killed a thousand miles away. Reason. Unknown. Unexplained.
6: Cross. Square.
1: Today, modern scientists are delving deeper and deeper into these mysteries. Star. In the science laboratory of a great university, a girl sits at a table and draws cards from an automatic shuffling machine. On the face of each card is one of five possible designs a star, a circle, a cross, a square. Three wavy lines. Without looking at the cards, the girl tries to identify the designs by mental impressions. By clairvoyance. At another table, a man watches dice tumble about in a revolving cage. The man calls out a number. Six. The dice are cast. The number is six. At still another table, an experimenter stares at a photograph of a tree and tries to project the mental image of this tree to an artist at a drawing board in the next room. These are only a few of the experiments by which modern science hopes to probe into these unexplained phenomena to solve one of life's greatest riddles. Uh, Mr. McIntyre, may I interrupt for just a moment? Certainly. Uh, My name is Lawrence Dobkin. Mr. Dobkin. Now, it's my contention most of these things can be explained. Properly investigated with adequate controls, science can show a perfectly normal logical explanation for almost any of these uh, so-called psychic phenomena. I see. Excuse me, Mr. McIntyre. I'm Russell Thorson, and I'd like to ask Mr. Dobkin a question. Go right ahead, Mr. Thorson. Mr. Dobkin, Mm? do you feel that science has been able to determine by what means certain men and women are are able to consult a forked stick and discover water far underground? You mean a water dowser? Yes, Oh, well, that's a superstition that goes back to the Middle Ages. I believe it's more than a superstition. I believe it's extrasensory perception. Oh. Uh, gentlemen, may I make a suggestion? Certainly, Mr. McIntyre. The workshop has included the case of a water dowser in tonight's report. For case number one, we have invited a gentleman who can give us an eyewitness
7: account of how
1: a water dowser works. Mr. Robert Ballin.
7: To begin with... Let me say that my experience is limited to the method used by one particular dowser, Mr. Henry Gross, game warden of Biddeford, Maine, probably the country's best-known dowser. Two books have been written about him by Kenneth Roberts, author of such bestsellers as Northwest Passage and Oliver Wiswell. As a result of reading of Mr. Roberts' books on Henry Gross, I decided to employ him to find water on my farm, which is just outside Manchester, Vermont. Shortly after I bought the farm... In the fall of 1954, the spring that supplied all my water suddenly went dry. Some of my neighbors said nothing could be done about it. Some said I should call in a geologist and try to drill a well. Instead, I got in touch with Kenneth Roberts and Mr. Henry Gross. I asked if Mr. Gross would be willing to come over from Maine and douse my farm. He said he would for a fee of $500 in expenses, and a day or so later he drove up to my front door. He was a man of about 60, a little less than medium height, quiet, soft-spoken country gentleman. I invited him into the house for a cup of coffee, and Mr. Gross explained
5: the conditions that I must agree to. Now, Mr. Ballin, if I tell you where to dig your well, you must dig right there at that spot, and not maybe off a few feet north or south. Yes, I I understand that, Mr. Gross. And uh, don't bring in one of those big bulldozers for the digging. Oh? Oh, the machine's too heavy nice the earth down so tight that it'd crush the veins and send the water off in a new direction. Yes, I, I could see that it might. All right, we can get started. Most of my farm is on a hillside with a
7: good deal of natural growth. As we walked along, Mr. Gross pulled up a goldenrod plant and bent it into the shape of the letter V. He took one fork of the branch in each hand and held the point directly in front of him in a horizontal position. He aimed slowly to the right... To the left. Suddenly the branch dipped down. Huh?
5: Yes. Looks like your old spring, the one that dried out, is straight up the hill. I-, I didn't tell you where it was, did I? Oh, didn't need to. That's where my rod says it is. That's why it dipped. Well, in other words, if the rod points down, that indicates water. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm asking the rod a question, a dip means yes. If it doesn't dip, that's no.
7: Can the rod tell how near we are to the spring?
5: I'll uh, I'll ask it. How far away is the old spring? More than a hundred yards? We waited a moment, and then the rod dipped again. More than two hundred yards?
7: Another pause, then another dip.
5: More than five hundred yards?
7: This time it was motionless.
5: Seems to be less than five hundred. Is it four hundred and fifty yards? Is it four hundred and sixty yards?
7: The questions continued until the rod indicated the old spring was 458 yards up the hill. We then paced off the distance and found it to be 457 yards. Now, considering that a man's stride cannot be exact, the rod's accuracy was phenomenal. You
5: know why this uh, spring went dry? It was off on a tributary, and this long drought passed it out. You, you think the main vein is still flowing? Mm-hmm. Just a question of finding it. We worked our way
7: down the slope until the divining rod dipped again. Then Mr. Gross began walking back and forth and asking the rod questions. Finally, we had worked ourselves almost up to my back door. And then Mr. Gross laid the rod aside.
5: Mr. Ballin, you've got a good vein. It comes down from the top of that hill. It's about 20 feet wide. The deepest part is seven feet. And behind your house, it rises to within four feet of the surface. huh? Now this is the place to dig. You'll find it's excellent drinking water.
7: Fine. If it's only four feet. I can dig it myself.
5: Sure. Be good exercise. Well, Mr. Gross, two or three times while you were working, you you seemed to
7: break into perspiration and tremble.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happens now and then. It takes a little out of you when you feel the water. You say feel? Well, that's the only way I can describe it. Well, then you must be able to find the water without using a divining rod. I do sometimes, That the rod is a help. Well, tell me, do you think other dowsers feel water the same way you do? You can't say, but I do know that most of us are outdoor folks. We're at home in the woods and fields. I think that's important, very important.
7: I followed Mr. Gross's instructions and started digging in the spot that he had indicated. The top earth was dry and caked. But at about 18 inches, the soil was damp. At two feet, it was moist... At three feet, water seeped into the hole. As far as we could tell, the water vein was exactly at the depth that Mr. Gross had predicted.
1: And now, I'd like to present in person the gentleman who participated in this remarkable phenomenon. Mr. Robert W. Ballin, a vice president of the world's largest advertising agency, the J. Walter Thompson Company. Mr. Ballin.
5: Thank you, Mr. McIntyre.
1: Uh, Would you care to make any comments on this case?
5: No, I don't think so, except to say I realize that my experience with Mr. Henry Gross was quite impossible, except for one thing. It actually happened through no other device than one man's unusual powers.
1: Thank you, Mr. Bellin. And uh, you might be interested to know that in preparing this program, the workshop has inquired as to Mr. Henry Gross's recent activities as a water dowser. He has been employed by the city of Fredericksburg, Texas by landowners on the island of St. Croix in the Virgin Islands, by such firms as Bristol-Myers Chemical Laboratories, the A.C. Lawrence Leather Company, a subsidiary of Swift and Company, by two large electronic factories in New Jersey, and by Canada's largest munitions plant. Excuse me, Mr. McIntyre, may I just make a comment? Certainly, Mr. Domkin. Thank you. Now, science has investigated water dowsing... It appears that when that rod twists and uh, dips in the dowser's hands, well, that's actually caused by an unconscious muscular action. Hmm? Now, if that's correct, there's no mystery about it. But there is. There most certainly is. In what way, Mr. Thorson? Well, even if the dowser should control the rod by this uh, this unconscious muscular action, what is it that affects his muscles? If the dowser has some strange affinity for water, how does he
0: feel it? Well, no.
1: These and are and, and how is it that? Mr. Gross over a flowing vein of water can hold two dowsing rods, each slightly off-center, and have one rod work frontward and the other backward. Muscles can't do that. Well, but now you're getting off into the supernatural. The supernatural or the natural in a way not yet understood by science. In every era since the age of ice and of the mastodon, man has believed in the miraculous. He turned to the witch doctors, the soothsayers, the astrologers, the magicians, to the frauds and the cunning cheats. Again and again, his faith was betrayed, and yet he believed. He believed because there was something, something that was beyond his knowledge. In the Bible, there are miracles. Belshazzar feasted with a thousand nobles, and a hand appeared and wrote on the wall, Mene, Mene, tekel, you And in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Pharaoh dreamed a dream of seven fat years and seven lean years. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, slept and saw a vision of himself humbled as unto the beasts of the field. What are these dreams, these visions? To be exact, sir, they're phenomena that come under the heading of precognition. That is to say, the knowing of an event before it actually well, happens. Well, now, now, just a minute. Yes, Mr. Mr. Don. At times, you know, science finds it difficult to accept biblical stories as literal fact. They are very effective, yes, as literature. But we can't possibly prove that these things actually did occur. Nor
5: can we prove that they did not, sir. Yes,
1: well, all right. Now we're quibbling. How about some modern examples? Would you accept them? That depends on the quality of the evidence. We all know that certain people are given to telling some very remarkable things, which are either pure imagination or events that have been poorly observed and wrongly interpreted. Mr. Dobkin, I doubt if you would charge fraud or mistake in the two cases I'm proposing. They're both a matter of public record. Uh, Mr. McIntyre, would you please? With pleasure. Case number two, which might be called Precognition.
4: The year was 1858. 1858.
1: The Mississippi Riverboat, Pennsylvania, was laying over at St. Louis. Among the crew were Henry Clemens and his older brother, Sam. Samuel Clemens, who would one day write his way to fame under the pen name of Mark Twain. While the steamboat loaded cargo, Sam went ashore to stay overnight at the home of his sister, Pamela. Early the following morning, Pamela was awakened by a noise downstairs and a voice.
0: Henry! Henry!
1: Pamela reached for Henry. her rope and hurried downstairs. She entered the sitting room to find her brother Samuel staring wildly about.
6: Sam, what are you doing up at this hour? It seems so, so real. What? I was so sure of it, I jumped out of bed and came down to look at him. Sam. When he wasn't here, I thought they'd moved him. Who, Sam? Moved who? Henry. He was dead. Oh, Sam, you were just having another one of your nightmares. It was as real as you are, Pamela. I saw Henry stretched out here in this sitting room. He was in a metal coffin. There was a bouquet on his chest. White flowers. All white. Except for one red rose in the center. It was so vivid. Sam, it was just a dream. Yes.
1: A few weeks later, on June 13th, 60 miles below Memphis, the boilers of the steamboat Pennsylvania exploded. Among the 160 dead was Henry Clemens. In a Memphis warehouse, the victims were laid out in a long line of wooden coffins. There was but one metal coffin. Samuel Clemens stood beside it and gazed down at his brother's body. On the chest was a bouquet of white flowers, all white, except for one red rose in the center. Case number three. Seven years later, in the second week of April, 1865... Another man dreamed a dream. Afterward, he told it to his wife
0: and to his best friend. There seemed to be a death-like stillness about me. Then I heard subdued sobs, as if a number of people were weeping. I thought I left my bed and wandered downstairs. I went from room to room, no living person was in sight, but the same mournful sounds of distress met me as I passed along. I was both puzzled and alarmed. I kept on until I arrived at the East Room. There before me was a cattle on which rested a corpse wrapped in funeral vestments. Around it, a throng of people, some gazing mournfully upon the corpse, others weeping pitifully. I asked one of the soldiers there, who is dead in the White House? The president, he said, he was killed by an assassin.
1: That same week, In April, the man who dreamed that dream, Abraham Lincoln, attended a play at Ford's Theater. Later, his body lay in state in the East Room. Yes. Well, gentlemen? Well, first I'd like to ask Mr. Dabkin if he questions the validity of those two dreams. No, 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 Mr. Thorson. I accept them as correct statements of actual events. Thank you. But now, tell me, have you never had a dream of dying or... Falling downstairs or being in an auto accident? Oh, I imagine I have, I know I have. Well, let's suppose that everybody in the United States has had at least one dream of accident or of disaster. That's 165 million dreams. Now, the simple law of averages guarantees that some of those dreams will come true. I I think this is a good time to quote Dr. Sigmund Freud. He said, if one regards oneself as a skeptic, It is well from time to time to be sceptical about one's (laughs) scepticism. And and on clairvoyant dreams, he said... uh, Just a minute. Mr. McIntyre, would you oblige me again? Certainly. In Vienna, in 1925, Dr. Sigmund Freud, the great pioneer in the science of psychoanalysis, had this to say.
3: If there are such things as telepathic messages, the possibility cannot be dismissed of their reaching someone during sleep.
1: The further possibility arises that telepathic messages received in a course of a day may only be dealt with during a dream of the following night. I hope you paid particular attention to that last part, Mr. Dobkin. There is a possibility that telepathic messages might come to a person only in a dream. Yes, yes, I got that point. All right. Doesn't that suggest something to you? At the very time of President Lincoln's dream, John Wilkes Booth was planning his assassination. Using Freud's theory, Lincoln might have picked up Booth's murderous thoughts by telepathy. Therefore, the dream... Well, it's a startling idea, certainly, but again, there's no possible proof. The world is filled with things difficult to prove. Their mere existences are proof. Well... We scientists have spent centuries studying the animal world. And what do
7: we come up with? Mystery.
1: Item. The homing pigeon.
7: The homing pigeon can find its way back to its home loft over distances up to 100 miles. In some cases, the distance has approached 1,000 miles. Means by which the bird determines latitude, longitude, curvature of the earth? Unknown.
1: Item, household pets.
0: Dogs and cats have been separated from their owner and have returned on foot over distances of many hundreds of miles. Bobby, a collie, traveled almost 2,000 miles between the states of Indiana and Oregon. Means of determining
6: direction... Unknown. Item, the European eel. The European eel swims from inland rivers into the Atlantic, makes its way 2,000 miles to a deep off the West Indies. There it spawns and dies. The baby eels born off the West Indies return across the Atlantic and ascend the same rivers from which their parents had come years before. Method of finding their way? Unknown.
1: Well, this is all very interesting, Mr. Thorson, but these are things that we call instinct. Yes, and what is instinct? Can science explain it? Well, we're investigating it. And And we still don't know. I say that instinct includes clairvoyance and telepathy at work at an animal level. Yes, but that is simply argument. (sighs) Mr. McIntyre, may we have the case of Lady the Wonder Horse? Certainly. Case number four. An example of clairvoyance, as told by Mr. Stuart
5: Wyatt. Well, it was back in the fall of 1950, late October. My wife, Nancy, and our 12 year old boy, Billy, and I went up to spend a weekend at our mountain cabin. This was back in eastern Tennessee on the shore of a small lake. Late Saturday afternoon, Billy went out in the sailboat. I told him not to because it looked like there was a storm blowing up, but, well, you know how kids are. But, well, anyway, the wind kept getting stronger and stronger, and Nancy and I got worried. We saw Billy trying to take in sail, but he couldn't do it fast enough. and the mast broke, and the boat capsized. I swam out to the wreckage, but there was no sign of Billy. So we telephoned the nearest forest ranger station, and they sent over a couple of men with a search boat. They couldn't find anything either. That night, in the pouring rain, we had over 200 volunteers combing the woods and the shore. They even brought in bloodhounds. After two days of this, the chief ranger, Anderson, was pretty discouraged
6: we've dragged the leg three times, Mr. Wyatt, and still nothing. I'm afraid the body must be caught under the ledge or something where our equipment can't reach it. Looks like there's nothing more we can do.
5: When I told that to my wife, it's a funny thing, Mr. McIntyre. She just suddenly stopped crying. She said, all right, now it's time to try that horse she'd read about. It was supposed to be able to find missing children, and its name was Lady. I told her it was ridiculous, but, well, we'd tried everything else. The horse, which Mrs. Wyatt had read about,
1: is Lady, owned by Mrs. C.D. Fonda of Richmond, Virginia. Mr. and Mrs. Wyatt found the 25-year-old mare waiting for them in her barn. In front of her was a strange contrivance of levers and wooden blocks with letters of the alphabet and numbers running from 1 to 10. Following instructions, the Wyatts asked Lady a test question.
6: Lady, tell me... What was my maiden name?
1: The horse moved toward one of the levers. She pressed her nose against the lever, and the block
5: with a letter L came into view. L. L. Lee Lee, e, that's right, Lee, Nancy Lee. Oh, this is impossible. Nobody around here knows your maiden name. Lady does. Well. Lady. Is
6: my son Billy alive? Lady. L, L, I, I, eh? Oh Fly. God. Oh. God.
5: Lady, lady, where is Billy? Lady, where is Billy? See?
6: cave. He's in the cave.
1: Mr. and Mrs. Wyatt telephoned from Richmond to Chief Ranger Anderson back in Tennessee. They told him to search for a cave. The following is from the official report of Ranger Anderson.
6: The white boy was found in a small cave approximately one and one-quarter miles northeast of the lake. He was unconscious. Dr. Warner gave him a blood transfusion, and he was removed to the hospital. When I was able to question him, the white boy stated these circumstances. After the sailboat capsized and sank, he swam to the nearest shore. While attempting to return home through the woods, he stumbled into an animal trap. The trap broke his left leg, and he began to lose blood. In a state of fright and confusion, he then began to crawl in a direction away from the lake. He discovered the cave and decided to stay there until the rainstorm was over. Sometime during the night, he lost consciousness. He remembered nothing more until reviving in the hospital. He was discharged therefrom on October 28th, fully recovered.
1: Cases similar to that of the Wyatt boy in which the horse lady has guided searchers to the recovery of the bodies of missing children may be read in Newsweek magazine, the issues of October 25th, 1948, December 22nd, 1952, and February 16th, 1953. In Time magazine, issue of December 15th, 1952, in Life magazine, issue of December 22nd, 1952, and in Popular Mechanics Magazine, issue of March 1952. Yes, the dramatization you just heard was a composite of several such actual cases. Item Emanuel Swedenborg.
7: Emanuel Swedenborg, scientist and philosopher in September 1759, saw in a waking dream a disastrous fire which was burning at that very moment in the city of Stockholm, 50 miles away. He specified the houses which were then in flames... and gave the correct hour at which the fire was extinguished.
1: Item, Leo Tolstoy. In
7: 1910,
0: Count Leo Tolstoy, famous author... sent a message to the Tsar of Russia... the German Kaiser and the King of England... in which he described his dream of World War I... four years before it occurred. He stated when the war would begin where it would be outlined its horrors, foresaw the League of Nations.
1: And now, gentlemen, any questions? You, Mr. Thorson? I rest my case. You, Mr. (laughs) Dobkin. I, uh, I rest my case.
0: Wavy lines. Star. A girl
1: sits at a table and draws cards from an automatic shuffling machine. By the mathematical laws of chance, she should correctly identify without looking at the cards. Five out of every twenty-five drawn. This girl has scored as high as nine and fifteen cards consecutively correct. In one such experiment, the score has exceeded the laws of chance by odds of four hundred thousand to one. Star. In still other cases, the odds have risen to the astronomical five, ratio of one trillion and one seven, quadrillion to one. Six. In laboratories and universities six, throughout the United States and Europe and South seven, Africa, the research goes on. Twelve. New light is being shed seven, on the phenomena of telepathy and clairvoyance. Two, the day five, may be not far distant, five, when science will establish the principles seven, of extrasensory perception and its nine, operation as firmly as the laws which govern nuclear fission. The ideas advanced behind, by Professor Sigmund Freud and by other square, investigators may yet circle, be proven fact. Circle, that long before man's first crude stammerings, long star, before he first chiseled his ideographs star, into stone, star, man communicated to fellow man star, through thought. Star. star Tonight, the CBS Radio Workshop has presented Report on ESP, directed by Jack Johnstone. Research and script by Leonard St. Clair. John McIntyre was the narrator. The cast included Lucille Meredith, Lillian Biaf, Don Diamond, Lawrence Dobkin, Russell Thorson, Stacey Harris, Robert Ballin, Forrest Lewis, Sam Edwards, Raymond Burr, and Bert Holland. Original music for tonight's program was composed and conducted by Amarigo Marino with vocal by Norma Zimmer. The CBS Radio Workshop is produced in Hollywood by William Froog. This is Hugh Douglas inviting you to join us again next week when we present Cops and Robbers, a unique experiment in which real-life detectives use actual police methods to solve a fictional crime. Presented on the CBS Radio Workshop. On the New York Philharmonic Symphony broadcast, presented by most of these same stations this Sunday, you'll hear the second of two all-Mozart programs. Bruno Walter will conduct the Mozart Symphony No. 25 in G Major, and then will present the rarely performed Mozart Requiem. That's this Sunday on CBS Radio. Star. 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 Stay tuned for five minutes of CBS Star. News to be followed on most of these stations by The Jack Carson Show. America listens most to the CBS radio network.